Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Oren, thank you so much for joining me today. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. All right, let's see what we can see. We can do with it. <laughs> That's. I'm just going to set the bar high to begin with. <laughs> All right, since we're just getting to know you, what's the one thing people would be surprised to learn about you? Well, the one thing people would be surprised to learn about me is that I agreed to come on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Why would that be? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, no. So, hey, listen, I've written easily 250, 255 institutional pitches, presentations for money, $1 million, $3 million, $5 million, a billion dollars. That's what people hire me to do is to make pitches for mainly for money. Right. And I think the surprising thing about that is every single one I've done with a pen and paper, of course, not the final, you know, ends up in a PowerPoint ends up in a InDesign, but the start of them pen and paper, like that's the hardest thing. You got to build something you got to build a, a pitch. Somebody has to see what ideas you have in your mind, why those ideas uh, are important to them. Why now? What's in it for me? What's the big idea? And it just all starts with one human, one piece of paper, one pen. I think people are surprised to learn that. Most people think it's fancier than that. It's not. So this might be a naive question, but I have to ask, since you're talking about this, do you think that most of us, part of our challenges with our pitches when we're trying to communicate an idea is we jump from what's in our head to the presentation? Because you 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 said pen to paper a few times. Is there something in that middle or that first step that really matters to get it right? Yeah. So for those of you who watch Game of Thrones... That's the first step. I mean, who doesn't? Like, what we say is, like, for those of you who don't, go watch it, come back. (laughs) Well, let me tell you who doesn't. I was speaking in Las Vegas to 1,500 people a couple days ago in the middle of the presentation. I have a good presentation. It's an hour long. People laugh. They cry. It's amazing. Once I really get going, 30 minutes in, a guy stands up, holds up his hand, and I say, sir, what is going on? I see you have your hand held up. I'm not to the part where you can ask questions yet. This is the funny part. Right? You see everybody around you, they're laughing. <laughs> what are you doing? Stand up with your hand up, right? And he says, Oh, my wife had to leave. I go, I'm sorry. Why did your wife leave? The language. Okay, what kind of man lets his wife leave and stays? But anyway, what's wrong with the language? Right? Oh, do we have to hear the language? I go, Okay, well, you're definitely not going to like the next part because it's about Game of Thrones. So, <laughs> but, but why? <laughs> We do pepper and some like, but why Game of Thrones, right? Well, except for that one guy, what's the context? Winter is coming. That is the beginning of every presentation, no matter uh, whether it's for SaaS software, for it's a logistic company, it's for uh, big data, it's for Internet of Things, it's for AI, it's for whatever, uh, whatever it is that you have that you're beginning. The beginning of the presentation that most people get wrong is winter is coming. What does that really mean? Things are changing dramatically. If you're not prepared for the change, if you're not prepared for the change, you're going to be left behind. Life is going to be difficult, and you're going to lose out to those people who 
who, you know, uh, bring in furs and store food and stop focusing on fighting and, and, and weatherproof their place. When the change happens, if you're not ready, going to get wiped out. How do you know if you're ready? And I know that sounds kind of obvious to some people, maybe those of us who deal with change and thinking differently all the time. But I think there's a lot of people out there who aren't even sure if they're ready or not. So if, if the presenter or the listener? Um, I will both, I guess, if there's a perspective for both. Sure, sure. Well, I think about it this way. Uh, maybe 85, 90, 93% of the human mind is dedicated to detecting change. That's why we exist, because we were very, very excellent at three things. Number one, detecting patterns. Number two, focusing immediately on anything in the environment that was changing. And number three, deception, right? That's why humans exist. That's what we're good at. But, uh, but of those, detecting change is what mo and movement is what most of the human mind is dedicated to. So anytime you frame something as changing, it immediately snaps people's attention to you. So it doesn't matter if the listener is ready or not to hear about change. Change immediately makes them pay attention to you. And you as the presenter, right, uh, the way you know you're doing change right is if the stakes are high enough, right? Some people present change uh, without enough. So Internet of Things is going to grow from, um, you know, one uh, $50 billion market to $52 billion market in the next two years. Who cares, right? There's no right. stakes, right? When you have change and there's stakes, and the third thing is those stakes are in terms of human dynamics, human experiences, human pain, human loss, then you have the introduction to a presentation. It doesn't matter what it is. So again, it's high stakes, things are changing, and lives are in the balance. And when you have those three things set up, then you have an introduction to a presentation. I don't care what it is, that will work. And if I hear you right, and from reading your book, this is not just about um, it's not just about trying to raise money, but this is truly anytime you're pitching an idea that needs buy-in from the people that matter. Anytime you need someone to pay attention to you, right? So if you think about it, here's the formula. Attention equals convincing power, right? I think you, me, anybody without thinking about it, if you can get somebody to pay attention to you for half an hour, 45 minutes, two hours, four hours, you could sell anything. There's nothing you couldn't sell if somebody would pay attention to you for four hours, but they won't. And that's the problem, right? How long are they going to pay attention to you? I don't know. You're not a professional presenter. You haven't really organized your subject. You ramble on maybe two minutes, right? You organize your subject. You've, you know, practiced it a couple times, maybe five minutes. I'm an expert in this. I practice presentations to the, to, you know, for, for dozens of hours before they go to um, get in front of a buyer, right? And the most I can hold somebody's attention, 15, 18 minutes in a presentation, attention equals convincing power. And so, yes, uh, that, that's the, you know, that's the issue is getting somebody's attention. So I want to dig into your book, Pitch Anything, because uh, for launch readers out there listening, it is brilliant. You should absolutely pick it up and read it. So there's a couple things in there, Oren, that I wanted to ask you about that I took. I went back before our interview and took copious notes on and looked at what notes I'd taken prior and what I tried to implement and all these places. And one of the things was in the very beginning, you just have this whole thing about this lizard brain versus how we present ideas and how we overcomplicate things. And it got me thinking about a presentation I did once where I thought it was the most beautiful presentation and high level concepts and like, duh, why aren't they getting it? And I was using SAT words, like it was amazing. And I got totally shot down. 
Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I understand. Well, there's a couple things, right? First of all, one of the reasons you thought it was amazing is because you were talking, right? And we, as you talk, obviously, fall <laughs> in love with the sound. Oh, uh, so good. What? Oh, wait a second. Why didn't somebody write that down? Right. Has poetry like this? ever emanated from another human being on this planet i mean do you hear that violin music i only violin music that you are listening to <laughs> is actually my voice the mellifluous iambic pentameter poetic nature of the words coming out of my mouth this is sing-song material somebody bring in a camera crew this is amazing <laughs> so so that's why you thought it was good right because you were talking people didn't leave the room and you thought that's how attention works but in reality i think you know attention works very differently what a lot of people don't realize is the human mind is not something that exists, right? There's, there's thoughts, there's electrical impulses, there's synapse fine. There's no mind in there, right? So, so if we open up a brain of a rat, a frog, a human being, whatever it is, there's no mind. You can't find it. There's only a brain, all right? There's no soul, right? The soul has never been discovered, and the mind has never been discovered. These things have not, along with NLP, been proven out by science, so what is in there is a brain and the brain is something very interesting uh when when i worked with the cognitive psychology he said look you don't understand the how the brain works and and so uh i'm talking about mind and he's talking about brain cognitive psychologists care about how information moves through the mind of another human being and so they explained look the brain formed in three distinct phases over a couple million years the first part of the brain to form in human beings or homo sapiens you know we, we were actually homo erectus and something before that. But the first part of the brain to form was the crocodile brain, the croc brain. And that brain takes in survival information, right? What is this? Something is moving. Something is talking. There is change going on. I got to pay attention to this. Is this something I should eat? Is this something I should mate with? Is this something I should kill? Got to figure that out very quickly. So no matter what it is, ROI, SaaS software, Internet of Things, um, lo um, logistics, trucking, going to Mars, uh, politics, government, whatever it is, whatever ROI, whatever uh, uh, IRR, whatever uh, um, thing that you're offering and the benefits you're offering, the, the first part of the brain to get information is the crock brain, and it can't understand any of that stuff. It only understands eat, kill, mate with. Right? And so your information gets chopped down very, very uh, roughly. So, so unless you start out with stakes, human beings are at risk. Things are changing. There's a lot going on. It doesn't really get through that first part of the brain. So then information goes up. Right. Ultimately, you want information to get to what feels like the mind, which is the neocortex. Neocortex processes logic. It's got language. It's got numbers. You understand it. It doesn't have emotions. But uh, it, it understands things and ideas and ROI and return on investment and software and things like that. In order to get information from the croc brain up to the neocortex, it has to pass through the midbrain. So you've got croc brain, midbrain, neocortex. All right? The midbrain understands social situations. So in order to get the information to the part of the brain where you want it to be processed by your customer, by your buyer, by your investor, it has to pass up. Through the first part, the croc brain, second part, the social brain, which understands are you below somebody or above somebody. And then if that person believes that you are a higher status that, that, you know, than them, then the information will move up to the neocortex. There's a lot of work for your information to do before it gets to the part of the brain that can make a decision. And that's why it was frustrating for you because you were going right to the neocortex and you weren't getting access.
access to it. The other parts of the brain were stopping your story, your narrative, your information, your ideas, everything you had from getting through. I want to talk a little bit about something you call framing. And, you know, I know all the kind of different types of it are in the book, but I want to share a little bit of a story with you that happened to me just to kind of gear it up a little bit. So I do a lot of new business presentations. You know, I'm asking people to spend a lot of money to do innovation pipeline work, to do, you know, culture of innovation work. And one of the things that I started to see happening that would make me panic and I think set off my lizard brain is I'd go into the meeting and the person on the other side would try to exert their authority on me. And they'd say something like, well, I only have 15 minutes. And suddenly I'd be like, oh my God, well, then I got to talk really fast. I got to get it done in 14 minutes and let me get all the benefits, you know, and I'd panic. Or they'd say something like, just get to the bottom line. Like, don't, don't give me all the fluff, just get to the bottom line. And they would, for lack of a better way to say it, it's almost like they would own the meeting and the conversation. And I had to then be reactive to the situation. And you've got a little bit of a different approach to that. Sure, sure. So this is what I would call the power frame, right? And, and so what's a frame? Well, it's a way of looking at a situation, right? So if you think about it, we're familiar frames because we have time frames, right? If somebody says to you, hey, I only have five minutes, they have framed that encounter in a certain way. If somebody says to you, uh, hey, we only have uh, 15 minutes, sorry, you know, we're running a little bit late and, and that we won't have time for the whole meeting, right? They're framing that encounter, not just with time, but also with status, right? right? And then you could say, well, that's a power frame because they're exerting power over you. But when somebody comes up with a power frame, right? Uh, the question is how to break it. Why would you want to break a frame? Because when a frame exists that defines a situation that you're in, it controls the behavior of both parties, all right? So when somebody says to me, hey, listen, uh, uh, so what, what did they say to you? What were the words? Specifically? Oh, well, there's two of my favorites. One is, listen, I, we only have 30 minutes, so we need to move quickly. That was one. And the other one is, hey, we're all here. Um, Bob can't be here, even though he's the final decision maker, but we'll take that information to him. Sure. So for me, let's take the, the, the second one uh, first, right? Our decision maker isn't here. Tell us what you have, right? And then we'll go explain it to him, right? That's a frame which says you are not of sufficient importance for us to bring our most important guy here, That's, right? That's a power frame. You aren't powerful enough. Your status isn't high enough. We don't think enough of this project, right? And I got in here and I'm going to in, interpret. That's, that's the frame that's set up, right? Now, you know it's unacceptable, so you have to break that frame. And I'm assuming that breaking that frame is not going, okay, well, let me give you this information on what to say, and then let me know what Bob says. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so, so first of all, you have to frame up in your mind that the chances are near zero, that they're going to be able to take your pitch, your presentation, the ideas in the right order, and give it to Bob correctly in, in an environment such that he says, yes, I'm interested in doing it. Right. So you have to frame that up in your mind. And that has to become something uh, that has to become a lens through which you view the world. So then you could say, no, that is not going to work. All right. But, and you can have fun with it. I tend to be a little bit meaner. You sound like a fantastic. So, <laughs> so what do I, what do I say instead? <laughs> right. So then the next step would be, uh, I have been doing this for 10 years, right? I've been explaining this stuff to 
to buyers and investors for seven of those 10 years. There's nobody better in the world at explaining this. So it's understandable, so it's digestible, so it's uh, repeatable, and it's simple. You have been doing this for zero minutes in your entire life. (laughs) Not an insult. There's some things you're very good at that I'm terrible at, for sure. Right? I can't explain your business, so... I can't explain your business. I don't know what it is. I couldn't explain your life story, your biography. You're an amazing person. Look at that dress you're wearing. I could never even <laughs> fit in it. You're amazing. <laughs> I, you do. But here's the frame. But I'm amazing at what I would at, at what I do, and it makes no sense to me. And here's the here's the frame. And it's unfair to Bob to take away the best person in the world at explaining banana shampoo. Of course. And have the worst person in the world, with all due respect, you, to explain to him. That's not fair to Bob, right? And so we all have to be fair to each other. Uh, here's what I suggest. Why don't you see see if he could step back uh, in for a few minutes or tell him uh, that it didn't work out today and we can reset the meeting for where it's going to be fair and work for everybody. Does that make sense? Is that fair to you? That is how, just off the top of my head, right? I haven't been in a specific situation. That is how you would break the frame of Bob isn't coming, right? Well, and I have to imagine, right, that like especially using the word fair, people don't want to see themselves and their identity as unfair. So to say, is that fair to you? I have to imagine has a little bit of skill to it as well. It is. Here's So this is the moral authority frame. When you are fair, honest, forthright, transparent, fun, interesting, bringing new information, prepared, right? It's Some people call that professional, but think about that as the moral authority. You came on time. You came prepared. You came with relevant information. You came with stuff they need. Uh, you, um, you, you, you practice it and package it into a short period of time. You did everything right. So now you can frame everything they do as not normal and not fair. That's the advantage of being professional. So the way to do that is say, hey, the other, so the other way to break, I mean, there's a million ways to break that power frame. The other way, just hearing your personality and listening to you, that you could do it, is you could say, huh, that's a little weird to me. Not really sure what's going on here, right? Uh, yeah. Because we, you guys need the, you know, you guys need the product. We set the meeting. We talked about it for two weeks. We all came prepared. Everybody, you know, came to the meeting. The conference room looks great. No, Bob. What's really going on here? I like that, too, because you're almost calling the elephant in the room, which is that, you know, everybody's double booked and Bob isn't taking this as a priority and may not even do it anyway. And so now let me take it further. I totally understand. Right. Things may have changed for you and you guys just forgot to cancel the meeting, which I understand. This is not for everybody. Right. However, I will not do this for you. I will do it with you. If you guys want access to 25 containers of banana shampoo, it's time for you to start showing up. Let's see. Okay. It is so much work to conversations and with everyday to place an order, on with pay for the order, Gondor shift podcast. the order, Let's take a control the order. This doesn't give me confidence that we are supplier and vendor. And I want to take a moment I'm confused to talk about what's going on. Why don't I give you a few Bob's minutes to get yourself all organized? The same Come back. I'm okay with when anything. It comes to joint pain, Tomorrow, your head is full of dead batteries. I don't know why you came here. 
Please take your banana great shampoo and go somewhere else with it. That's fine. With these ailments. Right. Totally okay with that. Because you're not getting the business anyway if Bob's not there. Who right. doesn't like exactly. Or as you long time listeners know, he, my mastiff Zoe. Uh, we're so sorry. We just got discombobulated. We need 10 minutes to get ourselves organized. We're really interested. And we'd like to go further with you. But just tell me one of those totally things, right? And I totally accept either And I know she feels answer. like her young, So with that whole succession that we just did, you don't have to say it mean the way I am. You can say it the way you are, but you have to say those things. With that succession of information, you have changed the whole dynamic from being controlled to controlled. Of CBD dog and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy's CBD treats contain natural ingredients including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code Tamara. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. All right, so here's what I have to ask because I've I've now tried this um, some of your suggestions a few times and I want to talk about the time one in a second because that was the first one I did and I was totally sweating when I did it. But were you when you first did it? Were you nervous? Were you worried? Because I know that the head trash that went through my head as I tried to to change up the control of the meetings and the frame was, oh my god, what if they hate me and think I'm a jerk? Like, and not because I care if people like me, but more of I'm in business. I want like to make these connections. I don't want to walk away. With people hating me for that reason. So were you nervous? Did you like, did it t- just take a couple times for you to get over that and realize, oh my God, this works and everybody actually benefits? Yeah. So for people listening, right, let's think about it. Uh, what, you, what you're talking about is they go, hey, well, we only got 15 minutes and you go, it's okay. I only have 14 minutes. We gotta get <laughs> That's done. what I tried. And then I, I was, I was silent and then I started to sweat. I don't think they noticed because I said it with such confidence and then shut up. But I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that out loud. <laughs> well, let me tell you where this came from, right? So I was somewhere 
and they were like, uh, hey, listen, we only have five minutes, right? So you got to pitch the whole thing, um, you know, really quickly before I have to go. And I just got mad. I'm like, look, motherfucker, you <laughs> pitch your business in five minutes? Is that something you can do? Are you asking me to do something that you yourself can do? Now, I didn't say that. I thought it. Right? <laughs> and so that's great. So then I thought, okay. Uh, I can't go that route because that's very adversarial and, you know, I'm trying to get an investor in the deal. And so I said to myself, so he said, Hey, you got five minutes to go, you know? And I said, you know what? Five minutes would be a total waste of time. I only have four minutes. Let's get started before, uh, I, I can't, I don't have five minutes to waste. We got to do this in four minutes. Are you ready? Pay attention. Let's roll. Is that to shock them? Oh yeah. So that, that, because that is what, w- you know, <sighs> Nobody really expects you to explain a real estate deal or, a, you know, a, a, a mass market consumer product in five minutes. It's just a controlling move. Right. And that's all it is. Yeah. And so what you want to do is take control back. Go, I don't have I, I don't have five minutes. I only have four minutes to spend with you with the implied messages. I don't even know, uh, you know, it, it, I don't know if some if I'd like to work with you. I don't know anything about you. Uh I don't really have that much time to invest in you. I'll spend four minutes on you. We'll see where that gets us and if I spend any more, right? So whatever it is that people are trying to impose from a power frame on you, you have to break it. Otherwise, and this is new and it's not in the book, and I think you know, this is important. When somebody has power over you, three things happen, okay? One is their focus becomes extremely narrow, so they can't appreciate the scope of what you're talking about. Number two, th- when somebody feels like they have power over you, they take ri- they have risk-taking behaviors, right? So they'll do things that they normally wouldn't do if they didn't have power. They'll look at their phone, um, you know, they'll look away, they're writing their book, they'll text, uh, they will, you know, engage in some other activity, they'll interrupt. So they'll take risk-taking behaviors, right? Uh, and... And, and the third thing is they only see you at a very surface cursory uh, uh, level. So they don't see any depth in you as a person. That's what ha- that's why you have to break the power frame. It's not should you do it? How do you do it? Um, why should you, you have to do it because somebody can't pay it. If attention equals convincing power. Again, when people has, have power over you and they exhibit these moves, they only see you at the surface level. They take risk-taking behaviors. Uh, and their focus becomes very, very narrow. Can't listen to the scope of what you're saying. That's why you have to break the power frame when it presents itself. So do people who put themselves in that power frame, is, does it show up the minute you walk into the room with those people, whether they're your boss, your colleague, it's a pitch or someone you work for? Is, is it obvious right away? So it is obvious right away because what happens is it's the, the dominance hierarchy is immediately in effect once you walk in the room, get on the phone. Right? Who is the higher status person? Who's the alpha chimp? Who's in control? Right? And so we, you know, maybe we'll get a chance to start a phone call. I will come on, right? And whatever it is, uh, you know, I will try and impugn them as having done something wrong, having done something weird, uh, you know, or or make a, you know, some comments, some alpha comments that lower their status from the buy, the know it all, have it all, be it all buyer to either appear with me or below me. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I will always get on the phone and say, uh, hey, so you guys couldn't figure out how to type 
six numbers into a conference call. That's why it's now 11.05. So who, who pays me back those five minutes? Uh, is that accounting or is it customer service? Where do, I, where do I go for that, right? No matter who it is, a billionaire. And then they'll laugh and, you know, you can't do it in a mean way. By the way, the more aggressive you are, the more, right, the more cocky you are, the more funny you, you know, and uh, uh, sort of charismatic you have to be. You can't just be shrill, mean, tough without also being funny, fun, and yeah. interesting. So it's got to be. And that, you got to say it with a smile. Yeah. Right. Say it with a right. So, uh, but, but anyway, that will reset the status alignment. Who owes me five minutes? No, seriously, I'm going to collect. Right. Um, you you got to do whatever's right for your personality. There's a million ways to do it. Uh, you know, get on the phone call and they'll be talking about sports or weather and go, Hey guys, I just, you know, there's a, I've been wanting to buy a Jeep on eBay. Are you going to be talking about sports and weather for the next 15 minutes? Cause I can go do that. <laughs> when you're done. That's and, great. And, right. Uh, so wait, well, you know, I got a million of them, put me in this situation and uh, I'll make him, but at the beginning, it's not that you need to lord over them, but they need to understand that it is a treat, it is an opportunity, it is a special event to be able to spend time with you, right? And they're not in control. And really, what I'm, if I'm hearing you right, Orin, the, the reality here is, is if you're not level setting that power and shifting it and reframing it, then you're not winning because nobody's listening to you anyway. So because to your point, right, they narrow their focus, they're taking these risk-taking behaviors, which sounds ultimately like they're not paying attention to you. And if they're seeing you on the surface level, whatever it is that you're presenting to them is not going to get through regardless. So you might as well take the risk and try to level set a little bit. Because you said that so eloquently, <laughs> you said it um, so sort of academic. Like maybe I read the book. <laughs> Interesting. It sounds like you read the book, or maybe wrote the book. Let me say it in a different way, right? Uh, and we've all been on a conference call where somebody has, or a, a, you know, where somebody's been sharing the screen, and then they forgot that they were sharing the screen. Yes. And then you get to see whatever pet products they need or text with their wives or they're searching for a new car they're on Facebook. Or, or they're on Facebook or worse. <laughs> yeah, well, I know your mind. <laughs> you don't know. That's why I don't do video. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, uh, uh, but that is when you, when you've seen that behavior, that's exactly what you've seen. You've seen somebody um, that is risk taking behavior. To be on a conference call, be sharing your screen and searching for Jeeps on eBay, right? Uh, and that is be why do people do that? Because they feel like they have the power over the meaning of this dream. I want, uh, before we keep going, I want to hear about the new book. But before we do that, can we talk a little bit about eradicating ne neediness? I want to make sure we get that in before we run out of time because that was a very personal chapter and one that I think a lot of us suffer from, including myself. Yeah. So thank you. Please really appreciate you meeting us here. If you sign us to, you know, if we do a deal together, we're going to, you can reach me at any time. Here's my mom's beeper number. Here's my grandmother's fax number. You can call me at home. Uh, we'll be, you know, we'll, the customer is always right. We'll bend over backwards. This is all neediness, right? Uh, and so neediness triggers something very uncomfortable in human beings, because if you go back 70, 80,000 years ago, uh, when human being, you know, the mind was still developing and we're getting the social behaviors, there was no surplus of anything. So if you needed something from somebody, if you wanted something from them, you were a danger and something to be avoided and unpleasant. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
So anytime that you exhibit needy behaviors, it makes somebody pull away from you, right? And so um, the the goal in all these presentations, you, you know, you want something, but without being the moment somebody detects neediness in you, they immediately feel a surge of power, right? And they use it. And that power is to say, this is all very interesting. Really appreciate the information you send. If you can send me anything else by email, we'll take a look at it and we'll get back to you if we have any more questions. So at any time that you're needy in a presentation, it makes somebody want to back away from what you have. So ultimately, and I think this is what I wrote in the book that that helps understand uh, and and really deeply understand neediness. People want what they can't have. People chase that which moves away from them and they only value that which they pay for. Anything outside those three rules, if you if you find yourself exhibiting any behavior outside of those three rules, you're probably acting needy and pushing somebody away. There's no sort of there's no sort of dy- dynamic of um where, where people are interested, they're listening to you, um, you know, they're excited, but you're giving, uh, you're giving all the information, you're giving discounts, you're giving free trials, you're giving demos, you're giving information away, and they still want it. There's no like um, middle magnetic ground, right? Either you are moving away and they're chasing you or they're moving away and you're chasing them. There's not two interested parties sitting there goo-goo-eyed looking at each other like 16-year-old teenagers. So here's where I think I get confused. What's the difference between, um, you know, wanting to show the potential customer, the person who you're getting buy-in from, that, that you're interested in, that you are excited about their business and neediness? Yeah. So it's, it's nuanced. It's very, I say it all the time, right? I wrote a chapter in a book the, you know, the book is in 11 languages it's in two dialects of chinese i just came back from italy i speak all over the world on it it's one of the most popular books. and the main chapter in that book is eradicating neediness but yet i will tell people i'm super interested in this deal i'm really excited to work on it and i really like what you're doing uh, and hope we can work together but i don't know that much about you yet and in fact if you sign the contract and hand it over to me, I would give it back to you because I need to learn a lot more before I decide to spend two or three months with you, you know, as one of our main clients, right? Here's some things I don't know. Have you worked with vendors before? What's your, you know, payment history? Are you really trying, uh, are you really trying to raise capital or are you just testing the market? Have you worked with other investment banks before? Have you already been to market and you're just coming to me as an emergency backup? What's really going on there? I'd like to know a little bit more. So that is eradicating neediness. Even though you're saying, I'd love to work with you. I like this deal a lot. I, um, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping we can find a way to be in business together. So that set alone is attention-seeking, needy behavior and is a deal killer. But on the heels of that, to say, but getting ahead of myself, I don't know anything about you yet. Certainly not enough to do a deal. Let's continue moving forward, see if our circles overlap. If they do, I'm sure we'll find some way to work together. You know, it's interesting, and I think you mentioned this in your story in the book, particularly in my early years, what I found was, and it actually 
loops all the way back to the power dynamics that we were talking about. If I felt like they were a good deal, I'd be happy to get them. That would be great. That's fine. They need me more than I need them. I would go in totally powerful, no neediness, and all of that would happen. But the minute that you know, amazing client. When Disney called me, suddenly I was like, oh no, now I need them. And in an effort to be excited, accommodating, whatever you want to call it, I would come across as needy. So it was very situational to who I was pitching or talking to. So this is the prize frame. Maybe we'll wrap up on this. Okay. That the cure for neediness is pipeline. Think about it. When yeah. We're right, right? Like, okay, so people go, yeah, that's great. There's a cure for you and tomorrow, but I don't have that much pipeline. But the number one cure is pipeline. I have so many accounts, right, that I don't even know what to do with my time. And and when you take those calls so differently, like, hey, John, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So sorry, I'm we're so busy. I just got, do you want it or not? I I know you have a lot of questions. Um, Maybe I can answer one or two of them, but uh, I've got to get all my orders in by Friday and, you know, I write up, do you want it or do you want to just wait till next year? Right. That's how you behave when you just have an overwhelming amount of pipeline. So maybe you don't have that. So that's a great, and I also think too, that's truly when you're qualifying for a right fit because you wouldn't take everybody anyway. Right. So they want to be good. Like, Hey, right. Hey, so, um, I really, I don't want to do the paperwork on terms. So can you just wire the money? Right. I don't have time to write the con- really, John. I don't have time to write the contract. Out. Wire the money. If I see it come in, I'll write the contract, send it over to you. We'll ship next week. Anything else, honestly, I just I don't have time. Right? That that's how you would do with overwhelming amount of pipeline. So, ooh, okay, I don't have that. What's the next thing? Uh, the next thing is just to fix in your mind that you do have it and behave the same way. That's kind of tricky. It's pretty good play acting, but you can do that. Right. Especially if you've had periods where your pipeline has been overflowing, you know the feeling of it. And so you can act. I think an easier way is the prize frame. Listen. okay, I'm the best at what I do. Consumer products. Nobody understands that better than me. You want to work with someone else? Go ahead. I have no problem. I do this better than anyone else. I'm giving you some of my time during the time that I'm giving you time. This is in your head, by the way. You're not saying this. Right. I mean, I can say this, but it's, you know, level 10 is you actually say this stream of consciousness. I'm giving you some of them my time. During the time I'm giving you, there are rules. If you play by those rules, I'll continue giving my time and help you. You break those rules and we're not going to be able to work together. Okay. So you're going, okay, that sounds very dramatic and draconian and, and stoic, but does it really? What if one of the rules is that I get to make a good margin? I'm giving you my time. I'm the best in the world at what I'm doing. This is in in my head, the prize. I'm the prize. I'm not trying to win your money. I'm not trying to win a contract from you. I'm not trying to win your acceptance because I'm the best in the world. I have all the uh, acceptance that I need. I'm going to give you some. One of the rules of working with me is that I get to make a good margin for working with you. If you behave in a way that seems like you don't want me to make a margin or I'm not going to get to a margin, that breaks the rules of engagement and I have to go away. Now, that would be very real. Right. Because because, you know, the worst thing in the world is to work really hard, sign a contract and have no margin in it. Uh, and, and so once you once you identify these rules in your head um, and you also stake the ground that you're the best in the world or the best in the market at what it is you're talking about and that people are lucky or it's a benefit to them to be able to spend time with you 
because they get to learn so much, then you're the prize that they have to win your time, right? And that will eradicate your neediness. You know, the, the other, other thing I would just say to close out that part of the conversation is um, it also keeps you from taking on the bad clients that suck the life out of you or the projects that suck the life out of you. Because we've all done that too in an effort of neediness to, and then we take on stuff that actually doesn't serve us and we're frustrated in having to actually do the work. It, absolutely. In my business, the more we give people, the less likely we'll sign the account. You just need to maintain your integrity and your dignity. Give them a presentation on the big idea, how things are changing, what the problem is, why what you do is very hard to do, your solution, who else does it, why you're different, what the ROI is, what the upside is of working with you, where the downside protection is, who's on your team, um, and what are next steps? That's it. That's the only thing that goes in the presentation. Nothing else belongs. Then at the end, you can say, but we're very busy. You know, as we said, I need to learn a little bit more about you. Why don't you tell me in context of the presentation I just gave you how you're a fit or how we're a fit together? And then we'll figure out if we should go further. That eradicates neediness completely in a way that's fair, honest, fun, interesting, uh, and, and not mean uh, in, in, in any way at all. You know, one of my rules is, you know, within six feet of me, I'm always having fun. Well, Warren, I feel like this has been fabulous business therapy. So thank you. I have copious notes. But let's, before we go, talk about your new book coming out. I think it's called The User's Guide to Power. So I know it's not out yet, but tell us a little bit about it and why you wrote it. The, yeah, so the user's, the user's Guide to Power uh, looks more deeply at the, the dominance hierarchy, how, uh, where we fit from a status level um, with people around us. What, uh, when we go into pitch, most, here's a good example. Uh, and, and one of the central themes of the book, when people have, entrepreneurs have new products, they want to make it sound sexy and exciting and new and novel and interesting and better than anything else that has ever come before. But that's not what people buy. People buy plain vanilla that's slightly upgraded. Okay, plain vanilla. Uh, another one is pre-wired ideas. Uh, so many of the entrepreneurs that I've seen thousands of pitches and presentations, they come with totally new concepts that there's a heavy cognitive load on my brain and it takes me so long to ramp up on what it is they have. I'm burnt out by the time I understand it or I never get to understand it. If you come in with a pre-wired idea, if you understand where you are in the dominance hierarchy and you frame your idea as plain vanilla, it's always done this way, this is the one that works. This has worked forever, but it's improved and upgraded. Then you're a lot further down the way to having power and understanding um, um, how to influence people and get what it is you need in a short period of time. Do you think that's why businesses like, I'll use the very obvious one that everyone knows, but like Uber or Airbnb were so successful is because on one hand, it's disruptive. yet On the other hand, it's totally obvious. Yeah, exactly. It's This is how it's always done. A car comes and picks you up, right? You pay the driver, they take you to the destination, but the payment mechanism is a little bit different and the driver is a little bit better. Warren, this has been absolutely amazing. What's one last piece of advice you have for launch readers out there trying to pitch a big idea? Most of the time, people come in and say, here's the big idea and it's a small idea, <laughs> right? Big ideas, are truly big. So here's a piece of advice. Have the ability to talk about an idea for two or three minutes without saying anything about yourself, your company, 
what it is you have or what you want. Give me an example. Walk me through a story on that one. Well, I already did. So today, if you think about all the creams and potions and stuff that we put on our body and we drink, right? Today, we're exposed to more chemicals in a single day than nature ever intended us to have in a single lifetime. That's an idea. It doesn't say anything about my shampoo. It doesn't say anything about bananas. It doesn't say anything about my company. It doesn't say anything about what we want. That's just a big idea. So this has been amazing, Oren. Thank you. I have learned so much. I mean, we'll have to see what launch streeters think. That was me exerting power at the end. Did it work? <laughs> no, really. It's been absolutely fantastic interviewing you. <laughs> I have to see what they think. Um, I also have to see if I'm willing to sign the release form. So we both have to <laughs> I had to get, you know, to I'm an experimenter. Like I need to try the stuff that I learn. So, you know, I thought I'd give it a shot. <laughs> You're good. I like you. You're very, uh, we should have done video. You're very charismatic. Uh, you might be the Groats gruff. I don't know, but you sound wonderful. <laughs> uh, very charismatic. And I hope we get a chance to meet or talk again. I did too. And I'm looking forward to the next book. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> Thanks, Mara. Yeah. Thank you. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.